Hey everybody, this is BC Buckets Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Gall, and I'm joined here by head coach Mark Sfigera. Always great to be back, Matt. NAI's best basketball podcast. You know it. And uh, as always, we've got Bobby Beach Patterson over here on the headset, making sure that everything's audible here. Bobby, what's new? Not a whole lot. Just uh, happy to be back and ready for another exciting week of Briarcliff Chargers basketball. Yeah, and we're here, uh, as always, up in the coaches' offices at the Newman Flanagan Center overlooking Ray Naki Court. You might be able to hear some commotion in the background. There's a men's volleyball scrimmage going on down on the court right now. So uh, if you can hear that in the background, that's what's going on. Coach Sherman has the guys uh, down there against Dort getting tuned up for uh, the upcoming spring season. So we've got a special guest here with us today, and uh, we've got Coach Ron Schultz joining us here on the podcast. And i got to ask Coach Schultz, because uh, I heard that Coach Figuera on one of your road trips last week got you introduced to uh, this podcast. So what are your thoughts so far? Uh, yes, he did, Matt. And it was, it's a great timing on his part because we were on some long road trips. And that uh, filled in the time very nicely. And it was kind of interesting to listen to. And since uh, I knew I always knew the people you're speaking with, so it was uh, just a good timing to kill some time when you're on the road. Well, and we appreciate uh, having you here, and, and we'll talk about uh, last week's games uh, here in a second, and, and then we'll talk about what's coming up here this week because we've got a, a couple of big conference games coming up this Wednesday and uh, this Saturday. So, But I thought we'd start, uh, and I thought I'd start maybe, Coach Schultz, by getting some advice. Um, you, know, you know, I coached your grandson in soccer a couple seasons ago, and uh, it's absolutely no coincidence that – uh, the year that I coached youth soccer is the same year that the United States men did not qualify for the uh, World Cup. There's absolutely no coincidence there. There's a complete correlation. I have no business doing anything with soccer, but I am going to coach my son's first grade uh, basketball team this year, and I don't think your grandson's on his team uh, for that, but uh, what advice can you give me going into a first grade basketball seasons about the points of emphasis that I should focus on this year? Oh, first of all, make sure you have an extreme amount of patience <laughs> <laughs> because uh, I've been on that level. I've watched that for a lot of years with my own kids and now the grandkids going through and it's, uh, it's the, the skill level is not exactly where you want it to be. <laughs> and uh, they, it's, it's a great, soccer is a great introductory sport because I've always said, because you can't do a lot of things wrong. You just right. kick the ball and chase it and they're all good at that. So they have fun doing it, so it's it's a good thing. Yeah, no, I'm excited uh, for for basketball season. I feel like I have a little bit better grasp on what's what's going on there. So, uh, with that, why don't we get into last week's uh, games? We had a couple of big conference games here to start out. You know, conference play, and the first was last Wednesday night up in in Jamestown. And uh, Coach Figuera, you guys uh, had a, a shootout with the University of Jamestown in in what was their first GPAC game uh, ever. You know, I knew after seeing some of the scores of their first few games of the year that, that they could put up some points, and you guys learned that absolutely firsthand. What are your thoughts on that game? You know, first of all, it was such an interesting trip for us. Um, being Jamestown's in the GPAC now, it's our first time going up there. It was their first GPAC game. And, and I actually told their coach before the game, it's just new for us because wherever we go in the GPAC, we kind of have the routine down pat. And we know when we go to Concordia or when we go to Doan, we're going to leave at this time. We're going to stop and eat our pregame meal in Omaha. We're going to get to the gym at this time. We're going to walk right to the locker room because we know where it is and all of our guys know where it is. And when you're, you know, that Jamestown trip, uh, we traveled with our women and, and Coach Power and I 
kind of figured out a couple months ago what we thought was the best plan of attack, and we actually stayed the night in Fargo um, before and, you know, just plan out where you're going to eat, when you're going to eat, um, get the feel for the arena, which they do have a nice arena up there. It's, it's pretty impressive when you're there. Um, so to come out of that and get a win obviously is a good thing, you know, and, and I thought – Obviously, offensively, we really had it going for a good part of that game. Uh, we were we were down a couple different times, six, seven, eight points. We were up a couple different times by the same margins. It was one of those games, though, where neither one, whoever had the lead at the time, could never really extend it or pull away. And, and it came down to we really had to execute at a high level pretty much that whole second half there. And every time we thought maybe we were going to pull away and extend that lead from six to ten or twelve, they made their own run and, and a couple times took the lead back, and we just had to scratch and fight and claw like crazy. And I think what really turned the tide of that game was about midway through the second half, we had a couple of runs of defensive stops that allowed us to get a couple different leads. Um, and we had a couple guys make a couple big-time plays, um, you know, whether it was taking a charge, coming up with a big rebound, getting a steal. We needed that, and, and obviously offensively we shot the ball really well, and we had a lot of guys step up and, and, and play well for us offensively. You know, looking at your stats for the game, you guys uh, were 13 to 26 from three. You shot 56% for the game, 83% from the free throw line. Just looking at that, you know, if you were to, to guess a final score, uh, you'd probably guess the margin was a little bit uh, bigger than six. Yeah, until you see Jamestown's stats. <laughs> well, that's right. And and uh, Kevin Oberweiser, uh, 34 points for them. Man, he's I think he's a name that is probably going to get recognized in the G-Pack. For sure. He's, he can really shoot the rock. Um, he can get it off with a hand in his face. And he I think he's a really smart player. He always finds himself in the right spot to get the pass or finds himself in the right spot coming off of a screen. And, and he can really get it off quick. We learned that the hard way, unfortunately. And a lot of it was our own fault. We let him get going, I thought, a little bit early in the game. Uh, we had a couple defensive miscues that allowed him to get some really good looks. And, and we know that on the flip side, that when really good shooters get easy looks early in games, generally good things are going to happen, and that guy's probably going to get it going that game. Mm-hmm. Well, and to, to look at our guys, so uh, Erdman uh, had 28 points, six rebounds, and five assists. He had a great game. Jackson Lamb had 19. Jay Wolf had 18. And, and uh, you were generous with the, the uh, breather time for Wolf. I think he got 45 seconds of rest in that game. Yeah, you know, the thing about Jay, he's a freak of an athlete, and he doesn't really get tired. And I think he could probably play 40 minutes a night all, all season long, and it wouldn't really phase him. You know, we try to find ways to protect him a little bit, um, but I have told him in certain games over the past, you know, year plus now, just like, here's a deal, man. You tell me if you need one, otherwise you're not getting one. Mm-hmm. And, and he's just always been able to handle that because he is such a good athlete. He takes such good care of himself. you know. And so, yeah, we got him 45 seconds after the weekend before. He didn't get a whole lot either. So he's, he, he and I were even joking last week that after the Jamestown game, he was still averaging over 40 minutes per game. Well, and, and you know, I think with your style – uh, defensive stops are, are a premium sometimes just because you play a fast brand of basketball and and uh, the teams you play are going to get a lot of possessions and, and he's a guy who you know can can be a shutdown defender at any point in the game and so in a game like that where Jamestown's hanging in there till the very end you know it, it, you absolutely need to have him on the court absolutely and you know everything he does makes us better you know, he's such a smart player on both ends. He's a great defender because he's a good athlete, because he really cares about getting stops, and because his instincts and his IQ are through the roof. 
but that's also the same reason he's a great offensive player. You know, he's unselfish almost to a fault at some points, you know, where we think he could maybe take a few more shots, but he's always trying to get other guys involved, you know, because I think he understands when, when there's multiple guys that get it going offensively, really good things happen for our offense and, and generally for the result of the game for us. When I talked about those guys, Erdman, Lamb, and Wolf, but uh, Friedel had 14 and, and Nick Lutmer had uh, 12. So, again, just another very well-balanced offensive night. Yeah, and, and I honestly, I think Nick Lutmer was probably the X factor in that game. You know, I, I don't know that he missed a shot. I think he might have been five for five. He made a couple threes and a couple twos. But he, he had one play. In the grand scheme, it doesn't seem like a big play, but at the time I thought it was such a huge play. I think we were up four or five, and it was a transition deal. They had a little bit of a miscommunication, and he'd come streaking down the floor. He had thrown the ball into Erdman, and he was uncovered. And he just had the wherewithal to make a hard cut to the basket. Well, he gets a wide-open layup, and it extends our lead after giving up a basket on the other end. And sometimes those are devastating for a defense when you score. You relax a little bit, and the other team comes right back, and within three seconds they score that bucket right back. And that's what happened right there. And he was huge for us in that game on both sides of the ball. I think he took a charge, had a couple huge rebounds for us, and, and he's been really good so far in the in the early season. Yeah, that was just it was just a, a great GPAC game, and you know it was really kind of a just a, a great showcase of the style of basketball that seems to be kind of dominating. Uh, right now, especially in this conference. Coach Schultz, let me ask you, because, you know, we just celebrated your 40th year of, you know, being a part of Briarcliff basketball. So how has the game changed in, in that amount of time? And I know basketball is basketball in the sense that it's a lot about uh, being in the right place and aggressively rebounding and, and smart, you know, basketball. But obviously, I think the style has changed uh, with the types of athletes, just the emphasis, offensive emphasis, the defensive emphasis. So, you know, how is the game different now after a game like that than, than maybe it was 10, 20, 30 years ago? Well, for one thing, the three-point line has made a big difference in the game. Uh, when they didn't have it, for, for instance, a player like Mario Galvez, he probably would have another 300 <laughs> to 400 points on his record right. if we had a three-point line when he was playing. Mm -hmm. um, but just the fact that way the game works now these kids in high school they have so much more than we did way back when uh, we didn't have open gyms we didn't have clinics we didn't have camps to go to there was no such thing as an AAU travel team mm -hmm. a lot of these guys play more games in the summer than we played in a complete season and so they're they're more developed uh, they're more skilled uh, they're more knowledgeable about how to play the game and just the skill level has been raised tremendously Mm -hmm. And uh, we, they're just uh, better basketball skilled players just because the amount of time they've been able to put into the game. Well, you know, I think uh, even in the last 15 years, I graduated from Briarcliff in, in uh, 2008. And just the style, and I know a lot of that comes with coaching philosophy and, and other things and, and athletes that you're able to get into the door. But um, it just seems like the game has spread out a lot even in the last 10 or 15 years. Another major factor is the shot clock that has come in. Before mm -hmm. we didn't have it, you could be a little bit more methodical. You could run your set plays, and if it didn't work, you just realign and run another set play or just repeat and repeat until you, you felt that you got the shot that you wanted. Well, the shot clock now puts the emphasis on let's play fast and let's get the shot as off as quick as we can because you don't want to lose a possession due to the shot clock expiring on you. And just that, that has increased the tempo of the game. Mm -hmm. So, and it, it started off at 35 seconds, right? And now they moved it to 30, and it's it's been a change that, that itself has changed the game. Mm -hmm. 
uh, you know, so that game put you guys 1-0 uh, in the conference. And then uh, this last Saturday, Concordia came to town, uh, and, and you guys had your home opener here at the Newman Flanagan Center and uh, pulled off an 81-64 to win uh, here at the, the NFC. So, again, to go over some stats, uh, you guys were 16-35 from three, thought, shot 46%. Uh, for the game. Uh, free throws uh, weren't easy to come by. Uh, you guys were 19 for 29 at 66%. Uh, unfortunately, I couldn't uh, be at the game. So, Coach Figueroa, why don't you just kind of tell me the story? What what happened in that game? Well, first and foremost, and I think I can speak for Coach Schultz um, when I say this, it was great to be home in front of the home crowd. It was great to relax a little bit in the morning and not be on a bus getting ready to go to a game. And to be honest, you know, we put our guys through a pretty grueling 10-day stretch. Being on the road, not just that, but the distances we traveled. You know, it's four and a half hours to presentation. It was six and a half down to Kansas. And it was, I mean, it took us a long time to get home. We got home at 5.15 on Thursday morning from Jamestown. And so for the guys to come out of that, I think they would have had a lot of excuses to not come out with a lot of energy and, and be ready to go on Saturday. And they really were. And, and I thought the game for us was won in the first seven to eight minutes. You know, the guys came out with a ton of defensive energy. We turned them over early. Uh, we got a bunch of stops early. And we had some guys that really had it going. You know, I think we made six, seven threes in the first five, six minutes. And it was multiple guys. It was Erdman. It was Wolf. It was Lamb. It was Friedel. It was Dobbinton. And all those guys made one in the first five, six minutes of the game. And when that happens, and again, I'm going to come back to when multiple guys get involved like that for us, I think we're really hard to guard. And I think it opens it up for everybody when a couple guys get it going. And so that, that was good. You know, Concordia ended up switching to a zone defense um, in the first half, and it, it slowed us down for a little bit. It took us a few possessions, even a few minutes, to kind of settle into it. And once we did that, we got the ball popping around the perimeter, and we got some inside-out looks and, and got some easy baskets again. But really, it was our defensive intensity and our defensive energy. We forced 10 first-half turnovers, and a lot of those were, you know, turnovers that lead to points, and that's a big deal. And uh, it, was, it was actually kind of nice – you know, it was the first time all year we've had this that, you know, 10, 11, nine minutes left in the game, we could get some of those guys that play big minutes of breather. You know, when, when Jay Wolf came out with nine minutes to go, I told him, you're done. You know, and Eric Erdman, I think he was a minute or two before. And some of those guys, they play big minutes. And anytime we can get them just an extra break in a game, it's a great deal. And, and you know, so to, to get that first home win out of the way, Every GPAC wins a huge win, in my opinion, and to start the to start the year two and zero, we're certainly in a good position right now, you know. And, and to get that first home win out of the way, um, to do it in convincing fashion is obviously great. And with that, I have to give a big shout out to our our crowd. You know, I didn't know what to expect. You know, our football team was still playing. There was a lot of stuff going on around town. We had a great crowd in the Flanagan Center. Our student section had this place rocking for about the t first 10, 15 minutes of the game. And, uh, you know, that's, that's one of the beautiful things about being at Briar Cliff is the support we get in the student section for years now has been awesome. And they really brought it to start the year, and I, I hope that's just a sign of things to come this year. Bobby, if you could give our student section a grade for the first home game of the year. Well, obviously I'm going to be a little biased because it so happens that uh, my best friend actually is the head of the Blue Crew and actually runs it. And a lot of people who come to the game might know him as the foot stomper before the games, uh, Mr. Kyle Barrett. Um, so every time uh, after lineups, right before tip-off, we play Seven Nation Army. And uh, he stomps along to the floor with a beat and everyone in the crowd gets pretty excited and hyped up about it. So... 
I mean, obviously, day in and day out, every time we play at home, he brings that energy. And I know the guys on the team all love it, and they're all, like, love to see everyone in the Blue Crew get into it. But overall, I mean, like Coach Figueroa said, yeah, the first 15 minutes of the of the game, I mean, the place was rocking, and obviously the guys fed off that energy, and we were able to bring it on the floor in our performance. And it was just great to be back home in the Flanagan Center, and uh, I'm just excited. And I know Coach Schultz and Figueroa are probably excited to see what uh, that energy is going to be like on Wednesday. So you're two and zero, coach. Uh, you know, great start to conference play. You guys have a big test coming up this Wednesday. Not only are you playing the team picked to win the G Pack uh, in the preseason coaches poll, uh, but you've got a big rivalry game in that uh, Morningside comes uh, across town to uh, meet you guys here in the Newman Flanagan Center on on Wednesday the 14th so uh i guess to start what do you know about morningside i know they've only played a couple of games so far they beat dort uh, the other night 77 to 66 uh it's not a huge sample size uh but obviously they uh, are highly ranked and there's some big expectations for that program so what are you expecting to see on wednesday well number one i think bobby said it i think it's going to be an electric atmosphere in the flanagan center and, and it's something in this rivalry that it doesn't matter where it's at. It's probably going to be a huge crowd. It's going to be really loud. It's going to be intense, and it's just going to be everything that I think college basketball should be, and that's playing in front of a packed house with, with two good teams playing. Um, you know, yeah, they've played two games. They're 2-0. and You know, they're in a unique situation where they literally bring back everybody off last year's team, um, and we were in that situation a few years back, um, and it's an interesting one, but uh, they're good. They're, they're a very talented team. I think they're a pretty good defensive team. Um, in a lot of ways, we play similar styles, you know, four out, shoot threes, drive and kick. There's a lot of things we do the same. But, uh, you know, it's one of those that in a, in a tense environment, in a loud environment, I think a lot of it comes down to what kind of poise and composure can we play with. Because any kind of rivalry game, you know, you're going to have big runs one way or the other. Certainly you want to be on the on the right side of those runs more often than not, but what are we going to do when we're on the wrong side? How do we respond to that? Can we dig in and get some defensive stops? Can we really execute and get some great looks on the offensive end? And that's, that'll be our focus going into the game. So, Coach Schultz, what has this rivalry uh, with Morningside meant to you throughout the years as a, a, as a player and as a coach? Well, it's a, it's a city game for us. You know, we know their guys. Their, their guys know us. Um, it, you know, just the fact that you live so close together, it's a rivalry game. Both programs have been very good over the last several years, so it's pretty competitive. Um, the first Briarcliff Morningside basketball game happened when I was a freshman that, that many years ago. Uh, we played their freshman team, and uh, at that time, Morningside was a member of the North Central Conference, and they didn't play us a varsity game. Um, so several years later, I was actually coaching them when we had the first uh, varsity game against each other and when coach Naki was coaching and what he wanted it was important to him then because when he took the job he wanted to play at North Central Conference level he wanted to play North Central Conference teams so it was important because the North Central was kind of the big deal in the area with the South Dakota South Dakota states North Dakota schools Northern Iowa Nebraska Omaha all that so it was a big deal. So it was important to him to play teams of that level. Mm -hmm. And then Morningside being the North Central team plus a city team, that's, that jump started the rivalry right there. 
for freshmen coming in, this will be you know their first game, their first Briarcliff Morningside game. Do you get the sense that they you know understand the history and and the intensity of this rivalry, or is that something you guys you know try to try to bring them in on? Well, if at this point if they don't understand that, they're going to pick <laughs> up very quickly, right. and they're going to get that from our upperclassmen, our leaders who know well, this is a conference game, this is an important game, it's a city game. They'll bring the, the attitude that we got to play as hard as we can, and the, our underclassmen will pick up on that right away. I grew up, uh, you know, obviously watching Briarcliff basketball. I think I've talked about that before, but uh, I just remember going to the old auditorium and watching those games uh, down there. It was, it was always just a lot of fun to, to go down in that old building and, and watch this rivalry. And I always thought the auditorium was a great place to play because it had that big arena-type look to it, mm-hmm. but you weren't looking at 10,000 empty seats either right about 4,000 seats for big games and, and would they, they, it would be full full in standing room only and sometimes and that was a, a great atmosphere so uh, Morningside's 2-0 like we said uh, you know with a fairly small sample size they're averaging 80 points giving up only 63 points so I know I've heard some interviews this year with coach Sykes and I think uh, they really came into the season emphasizing defense and, and uh, picking things up on the defensive end of the court so you know coach I know you guys score a lot of points uh, you've given up quite a few points this year too uh how do you you know how do you see this game playing out in terms of uh, an unstoppable force against uh you know a brick wall well i wish i knew the answer to that question be honest with you matt um you know and and yeah we've scored a lot of points uh we probably play a, a little bit quicker pace than a lot of the teams in the league for the most part and and so you see our scores and sometimes they can be misleading if you're just looking at the raw score um, in Morningside, you know, in their couple games, they've probably been a little bit slower in terms of total possessions. And, and so you got a little bit of a, a team that wants to speed it up, and they, don't, they certainly don't want to slow it down by any stretch. Um, but it's, it's, I know they have a good defense. I know they have a good offense, you know, and so can we play really good defense and really good offense? It's, it's, it's just one of those games you never know what you're going to get. It's been a fun rivalry in my time here. It's been an interesting one. Both teams in my time here have had long winning streaks, um, and we've had some split years, and you just never quite know what's going to happen. You know, you look at last year, the two games we played, we played them the first time here in the Flanagan Center, and and we had a big lead at halftime and ended up winning pretty big. The second game, again, we had a lead at halftime. We were tied with five minutes to go, and we ended up losing by 15 points. And, uh, you know, it just – that goes to show you it's a 40-minute game regardless of what's going on in the moment. It comes back to playing with that poise and that composure that we're preaching to our guys this week. When you said, uh, you know, obviously they're returning everybody from last year's team and, and with two games in, uh, they've got about five guys who are, are uh, averaging double digits or real close to it. And, and those are some of the names that uh, if you've been following this, this rivalry, you've heard these names before. Brody Ager and Tyler Borchers are each averaging uh, about 15 points a game. And then you've got Zach Emig and Matt Hahn and, and Alex Borchers. And, I mean, you could go right down the roster, and, and they're deep. I mean, they're just like we are. I think that's a strength for Briarcliff basketball. That's certainly a strength for Morningside, and I think that's part of the reason, you know, they've had the success they've had and, and why they're expected to do some things this year. So, you know, Bobby, from your perspective, what does this game mean for you? Uh, you know, as a student coach, uh, obviously as a student too, it brings some intensity just from being part of that rivalry in that capacity. So what do you look forward to most about this game? 
Well, it's actually funny because, yeah, obviously Briarcliff Morningside is a really, really big rivalry. And uh, there's a few of us on the team that is, uh, we'd like to say it's a little bit more of a rivalry. Um, there's a, quite a few people over at Morningside and a couple guys on the basketball team that uh, uh, some of us go to church with. So we've become really good friends over the last couple of years. And we obviously, Briarcliff Morningside, when they get together, it's a, it's a really big deal. Um, not only to the two teams, but uh, just around the entire uh, uh, Sioux City area. Obviously, there is kind of that somewhat hatred a little bit back and forth, but uh, there's a lot of respect between both programs and uh, both coaching staffs. And obviously, like Coach Schultz said, uh, both teams have been very successful in the last few years. So obviously, there is a little bit of uh, added energy and a little focus on uh, when we see uh, Morningside on the schedule. And I know the guys are going to be amped up for it uh, come Wednesday. Um, actually, had a lot of people around campus come up to me asking me if the guys are getting ready for the game Wednesday. And I know just talking to the guys, we're just taking it one day at a time with practice and everything, trying to focus and get better. But uh, come Wednesday, the guys are going to be ready to go and uh, geared up. And all I have to say is for everyone listening, if you uh, have the opportunity, definitely come to the Newman Flanagan Center on Wednesday night. Absolutely. And uh, the women's game will be at 6 o'clock uh, here in the Flanagan Center. Men will play at 8. Uh, Coach, what, what would you want our fans to know about what you know the environment's going to look like? I, I have a feeling it's going to be a packed house. I think it's going to be loud. I think it's going to be a great college basketball atmosphere. And I'll, I'll reiterate what Bobby said. If you're in or around Sioux City and you love basketball, there's really no better place to be than the Flanagan Center on Wednesday night. You're going to see some high-level basketball. Can't wait. Uh, absolutely can't wait. This will be my first uh, game in person for the year, so I'm, I'm itching to get there and get going. Um, but, you know, obviously you've got uh, a game a few days after that on Saturday, another conference game, and, and no conference game's easy, uh, but you guys travel down to uh, Doan to play at 1-4 and four Doan. And, uh, you know, they've lost some tough games. Uh, they lost uh, pretty bad uh, to Jamestown the other night, but they played Hastings fairly close. So, you know, what, what do you know about Doan? I know they've had some scrappy teams in the past. You know, they, I think, usually bring it defensively. So what do you know about this year's team? Yeah, you know, they're, they're a team not all that different from Morningside that brings back a, the bulk of their production from a year ago. Not all of it, but a lot of it. Um, the thing with Doan is they're still a really young team. You know, they were starting four freshmen for the, most of last season. Those guys are obviously now sophomores. And I do think they have a really talented team. I know they've, they've taken some losses early in the season, uh, a couple of those really tough on the road. And, you know, they're a team that they, they've given us problems in the past. You know, you look back to last year, we played down there in January. And, you know, by all intents and purposes, we probably should have got beat that night. But, you know, I, our guys somehow found a way that night. But they kind of had our number. And that carried over into the conference tournament when they beat us in the first round. And they're a big physical team. They have a lot of guys who can shoot it. They have a really good big guy. You know, and we're certainly not the biggest team in the world. You know, so sometimes those bigger, more physical teams have caused us some problems. But I, I just guessing and looking at how they kind of turned things around last year, I don't think the, the record you see now is indicative of what they're going to be this week, next week, a month from now, who knows, you know, but all I know is when you go on the road in the G-Pack, 
you better be ready to play, and you better be ready to play for 40 minutes, or you're probably not going to be happy with the result. Yeah, I know uh, to start the year they were receiving some votes in the national uh, poll, and you know, obviously with this record that might affect things once once uh, things come out. But you know, some teams just need some time to, to get it figured out, and uh, you can't take any game in the GPAC for granted because you know, as you know, there's been some teams that have snuck up on you before, and you can't take anyone lightly. Absolutely. Absolutely, and and Doan, you know, most nights we've been there, they've had pretty good crowds. Um, it's not been an easy place for us to play. I, I think, if I'm not mistaken, over the last four or five years, it's been a pretty similar outcome every time we've been down there, and I, and I do believe we've won those games. But each one, it was like we were down at half, um, didn't think we played particularly well, but you have to give credit to your opponent when whenever you say you don't play well because there's a reason for it. You know, and, and all of those, we kind of found a way somehow in the second half. But it, it, it's been a tough place for us to play, and I, I don't expect that to be any different here on Saturday either. And I know Coach Schultz is excited to get back in the bus this weekend. I will agree with Coach Spaghera that uh, it was good to get our long travel games out of the way early in the year. But uh, to go into Aberdeen, South Dakota, and then three days later getting back on the bus and going to Kansas and playing two games – then coming home and about two days later, get on the bus and go to North Dakota. That was pushing our luck a little bit, but uh, we survived all that. And uh, it, it is also good, I think, for our guys because they're they're always together. They do a lot of bonding and uh, get our guys all get along with each other real well. So it's a good team building thing to do too. But uh, it was enough. <laughs> well, it feels like you guys brought a little of that North Dakota back down with you because it is cold, uh, brutal. But sounds like that's supposed to improve. So uh, hopefully Wednesday night will be a good night for everyone to make it down here. And then on Saturday, uh, make sure you check that game out. If you can make the trip down to Crete, that's great. Otherwise, uh, make sure to check that out. I'm sure there will be a, a feed available online. So Coach Schultz, you know, as is kind of a, a new tradition since this podcast isn't that old. But, uh, you know, one thing we're, we're trying to do with the guests who come on the podcast is throw some rapid-fire questions your way uh, to, to get your thoughts on a variety of topics. So uh, I think Coach Figuera has some questions for you, so I'm going to turn it over to him. Well, I do, Matt, and I'm going to ask a couple of the questions we generally ask. Number one, favorite basketball movie? I knew that was coming because I've listened to the previous podcast. I knew that you also blackballed uh, Hoosiers. <laughs> so I'll pass that. I will say that is the number one. Sure. But uh, I had to think about that. And my next choice would be Coach Carter. Mm. Yeah. Because that was kind of uh, how you fight through tough times and uh, work hard and be successful, which is a good message. All right. Next question, Coach. Um, best Coach Sfagera impersonation. Um, I'm going to go with Nick Lutmer on that one. Uh, he's, he's worked hard at developing that, and he's got it to a pretty high level right now. So uh, I think Nick is probably the best. That. I don't know how Bobby feels about that. You know, obviously I'm going to have to agree. And uh, Nick Lutmer's on the team right now is probably the best, but I know there's a couple of guys in the team, especially last year that stick out, the uh, Josh Bellings of the world and Dylan Janicek. Uh, they, they had some pretty good ones too. But, yeah, definitely Nick Lutmer right now would be the top one. So what sets his apart, his impersonation, than, than anyone else? He, I mean, just speaking for me, I mean, Coach Schultz can kind of add on to this too. I mean, he, he's really good at getting the body movement into it, and then he kind of has that little, I don't know, somewhat of a scowl on his face, and then he kind of gets a little bit of a, not saying that Coach Figueroa has an accent, but he kind of gets that little, little accent to it with it, and uh, he just, 
I mean, it's funny every single time he does it, and all the guys just think it's the the best thing they've ever seen. Well, I think that was a great job by Coach Schultz uh, to answer the question without really answering the question because I think what we wanted to hear was uh, your impersonation. Well, and I think it's now a no-brainer that Nick Lutmer needs to be a guest on the podcast very soon. All right, Coach Schultz, better game day environment, Flanagan Center or the Sioux City Auditorium? Tough question because uh, Sioux City Auditorium, that goes back a lot of years now. The Flanagan Center is pretty good because it's a little more up close and personal. The uh, auditorium, you know, we had the ice rink, and so they had the uh, the stands were a little bit further away from the court. Um, as I said earlier, it was a great place to watch a game at, and it did have that big arena-type look to it. But uh, for being up close and personal, uh, it's the Flanagan Center. Better foot stomp, myself or Coach Naki? Well, I hate to tell you this, Coach, but you, you come across as kind of a rookie compared to Coach Naki. <laughs> he had a lot of years' experience on you, though. <laughs> but you're coming along. Well, quick side story about that. When, when I took over as head coach, I sit and talking with Janine Naki one day, and I, I just kind of casually mentioned to her that I'd been known to stomp my foot a time or two. And after our first home game last year, I must have had a pretty violent one because she waited to talk to me after the game and gave me a big hug and thought it was so great that I was stomping <laughs> my foot. So, all right, last question, Coach. What amount of money would you be willing to pay to right now watch in their primes Mario Galvez versus Rolando Frazier one-on-one? Wow. There'd be a lot of people who'd love to watch that. Uh, those were really two special, special, special players. Uh, not times you typically find at a small school in Iowa. Um, they're, they're actually Division One caliber athletes, and uh, they were NBA draftees. And um, they didn't play in the NBA, but they went uh, to South America and they played professionally there. And actually, that's not a bad deal because you make a, uh, quite a bit of money down there, and uh, to make a hundred thousand dollars down there is like making a million dollars here. Plus, they had a shorter basketball season, so it's a little bit easier on your body. But those two were very exceptional, exceptional players, and uh, which is why they were noticed and why they were followed by NBA teams. Well, yeah, Coach, obviously, you know, those guys are long before my time, and you're talking about two of the three leading scorers in the history of Iowa collegiate basketball. And, and you mentioned this earlier, I think, Omaro Galvez, Scored 3,200 points at Briarcliff prior to the three-point line being implemented in college basketball. And, and I've had the, the pleasure to watch one film we do have from that era. He shot a lot of threes. He just only got two for him. And so that leads me to one final question. I lied. I have one more. There's an infamous game in, I think, 1986 in the Flanagan Center, Briarcliff versus Northwestern, packed house. And uh, Coach Naki was out at the time, and you were coaching the team, and I know that Galvez hit a game winner. So when you had to draw that up to win the game, what was going through your mind? I know exactly was uh, how how are we going to get the ball to Mario Galvez? <laughs> Which uh, if, if that game, I do remember that because I was a very young coach and I had this team and Ray was it was in, gone, he's ill, and uh, we were down by 17 points with 17 minutes to go, and the guys cranked it up and we actually took the lead with I'm gonna say something like 30 to 40 seconds to go. And then we gave it up with like 12 seconds to go. 
and we got the ball into half court, called a timeout, set up a play, and, and it was, it's just one of those things. It just fell into place, and Mario came off a triple screen, and he made about a 30-foot shot, and the place went crazy. And I didn't celebrate till I looked until I could find the official to make sure the official was calling the shot good, because it was a shot at right at the buzzer. But uh, yeah, that was that was about as exciting as it gets. If you go on YouTube, you can find uh, some videos of the Panama national team yeah, playing the United yeah. States, and it's, yeah. I mean, it's a bunch of Briar Cliff guys yeah. on those teams. So if, if yeah. you're out there, uh, you know, go Google that. Uh, I, I don't know exactly what years those are, but if you look up Panama versus U.S. national team, uh, you'll see a bunch of Briar Cliff guys. And and uh, you know, I, I don't know about some of the outcomes of those games, but just the fact that that uh, you know they're able to to hang in there uh, with those guys is a testament to the quality of basketball that's come through. Uh, this campus over the years. All right, so now is the time of the podcast where we're going to turn the mic over to Bobby. I think he's got a couple of uh, listener questions for us. Bobby, what do you have this week? Yeah, I do have a couple questions. And uh, the first one we have is for Coach Figuera from a Bill Brasky. That name sounds familiar to you, Coach. Coach Figuera, what is your Mount Rushmore of comedy movies? Before we get into that, I've, I've got to comment on this because uh, the geographical exposure of the fan base of the BC Buckets podcast has to, to get out beyond South Dakota. I feel like we've had three or four Mount Rushmore questions to this point. So uh, out there, if you're listening, figure out some other geographical landmark to, to tie into this podcast because, uh, you know, I think we can spread this out a little bit. So that's just my soapbox comment here. Yeah, and first, I think we need to talk about Bill Brasky. Um, anybody who is an SNL fan from back in the Will Ferrell days knows what that is, and I also have a sneaky suspicion of who sent this, but uh, we'll, we'll figure that out later. Um, and I have to echo what Matt said, too. Let's, let's get outside Mount Rushmore a little bit. But I will also gladly talk comedy movies. So Mount Rushmore, again, you've got to have four, which is a strange number to have, but you have to have Dumb and Dumber, in my opinion. It's classic. Uh, it's one of those movies, doesn't matter when it's on, where it's on, I'm probably going to watch it for a little bit. Number two, Old School. Came out my freshman year of college. I quoted that movie for probably nine months on end. Probably wore a lot of my college buddies out. Um, so that's definitely on there. I'm going to go with Tommy Boy in the third spot. It's hard to beat some Chris Farley from the 90s. That was a classic movie. And, and I have probably a little bit of an outlier as my fourth. Um, it's Almost Heroes, also oh, starring Chris good. Farley. It's kind of a Lewis and Clark expedition spoof. And I remember the first time I watched it with my dad and my brothers, I was in tears laughing. Subsequently, when I watched it throughout college, I think we watched it on a weekly basis. And it's a quotable movie, and it's just absolutely hilarious. So there's my four right there. That is, that's a movie I totally forgot about, but I have to agree. That is an all-time classic. Anything with Farley is, is an immediate classic. But, absolutely. Uh, Almost Heroes, I think that was one of his, if it wasn't his final movie, uh, I think it might have came out actually after he passed away. I think so you're right, the last actually. Ones. Uh, so if you haven't seen Almost Heroes, look it up. It's, it's him, and uh, he actually uh, makes Matthew Perry from Friends kind of funny in that movie, believe it or not. 
You know, I there's there's one movie because uh, I saw this question before we sat down to record this, um, and I, I I don't have a Mount Rushmore, but there's one movie that that I feel like I have to mention because it's actually my all, all time favorite movie, regardless of uh, content or genre or, or whatever. But uh, Stand by Me is is my favorite movie, the movie from the '80s. It's based on a Stephen King uh, story, but uh, the scene where the main character talks about the pie eating contest and the the uh, aftermath of uh, castor oil uh, was one of the most hilarious scenes in cinema history so uh, just an all-time classic anyway but i think it's underrated as a, a comedy all right the last question we have uh, once again for coach figuera and it's from austin bush and i know we've mentioned um, austin bush's name here on the podcast before he was a former briarcliff student coach and uh, just from all the stories I've heard from Coach Figuera and other people in the program he was uh, quite the guy and uh, really good at his job. So he talks about a incident that happened back in the 2011-2012 basketball season um, kind of more importantly down at the national tournament in Branson, Missouri involving um, some red uniforms for uh, scout uh, that were not um, not grabbed by the student coaches at the time so uh, before I actually ask the question you kind of just want to fill the listeners in on what uh, he means by that yeah I do and I'm going to give the non-fiction version you know Bushy he's kind of misconstrued this story over the last seven eight years now and I'll say again I said it once before on a quick side note Austin Bush could get a deal at a restaurant like you would <laughs> not believe uh, sometimes to a fault sometimes he wasn't always the nicest person over the phone but uh, he got things done. Anyway, so we're at the national tournament, 2012. It's my first year at Briarcliff. Had a good team. Got beaten the Sweet 16 that year. And uh, it was a uh, shoot-around before our Sweet 16 game. We were getting ready to play Cardinal Stretch, who was really good. And uh, they, they ran a ton of different offensive actions, a ton of different sets. And it was a short turnaround from our first-round game on Thursday night to our second-round game on Friday night. And, and so our scouting report had to be pretty detailed on short notice. And so that's important to this story, and I'll get to it. So we get to the Branson Recplex, which is a pretty common practice spot for us over the years down in Branson. And uh, guys are warming up, shooting around. Everybody's kind of getting ready. And, and Bushy and Spencer Faye were our two student coaches that year, and, and they kind of came over to me and, and told me they forgot the red jerseys. And, and for those of you who don't know, the red jerseys we use in Scouting Report, they're just bright red jerseys with numbers on them, and we use them for our scout team, and they can wear the exact number of the player they're going to be guarding in the game. And they forgot them at the hotel. Not a good situation. And, they, and so they, they told me instead of telling Coach Nelson, and I said, okay, I'll take care of it. I'll go, I'll go let Coach Nelson know. Pretty much at that moment, Coach Nelson calls me over, and we start talking about some of their offensive actions. And like I mentioned, we had a pretty detailed plan on how we were going to attack some things. And so in that moment, I completely forgot to mention the Reds to him. Fast forward about 10, 15 minutes. We're getting ready to go through the scouting report stuff on the floor with the guys. And he calls out for the Reds. And those two guys just immediately turn and stare at me. And at that point, I said, oh, coach, they forgot him at the hotel. Turns into a, a pretty good coach, Nelson explosion and uh ever since then those guys have blamed it on me but the reality is they forgot the reds at the hotel you know i i was in an in-depth conversation about a scouting report and sorry guys that one's on you if i recall that game correctly didn't 
Cardinal Stritch have just a, a, a dude who he looked like an offensive guard, just a huge about six six, three hundred pounds. Yeah. Good player, great feel around the basket. I can't remember his first name. His last name was Wolfer. Had a yeah. huge beard. Um, got into a little scuffle with two of our guys right before halftime, Tim Lone and Zach Odding. And I'm I'd bet money that Odding instigated a lot of it. So how do you scout for a guy like that? Who had the responsibility of trying to fill that much space? On that team it would have been a combination of Michael Collison, Tim Lone, and, and John Engler probably. And, uh, you know, they, they, they like I said, they had a good team. And that was a game It still sticks in my crawl a little bit. We were up five with a minute 20 to go with the ball, and we ended up getting beat. And uh, the, the play they actually beat us on that kind of sealed the deal, we actually stole from them, and we've been running the same action for like seven years now. It's a great action. But, um, you know, that, that was just one where you have to try to match physicality but you're trying to do that with dudes who are 240 pounds against a guy who's 300 pounds. And uh, so he, he was a matchup problem for us. And they had a couple other wings who were really good players. But, yeah, that was a tough way to end that year, especially when, when you had the lead and, and, you know, had a lot of chances to win that game. You know, it's also kind of funny. It's a times have changed moment here. In that national tournament, we played two games, and we scored 109 points in those two games. Wow. And that game with Cardinal Stritch is still, every year in the national tournament record books, it's like the third lowest scoring game in national wow. tournament history. It's 55 to 50, we got beat. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so times have changed a little bit. We call that a first half now. <laughs> right. All right, yeah, and then back to um, Austin Bush. He he does continue to mention in the uh, the email, he says, it was a major mistake uh, with him and Spencer, but you did say that it would be okay and that we'd make it work. And then, yeah, when uh, Coach Nelson did request the Reds, uh, uh, Bush goes on to say that uh, you, Coach Figuera, kind of tucked your tail in between your legs and you let him get roasted like your favorite coffee beans. So there was that. Um, then he does go on to say not so much Austin Bush got uh, heckled a little bit by Coach Nelson as much as Spencer did, but uh, that was an end, I quote, conversation, end quotes. So the actual question it is, he says, how hard was it for you, Coach Figuera, not to laugh during the infamous conversation and did you ever think of stepping in thinking back six and a half years here i don't think laughing ever crossed my mind and i don't recall ever thinking about stepping in it was one of those situations where we probably just needed to to get through the what he calls a conversation and uh and move on and and get the scouting report going and and so short answer bushy no, I never once thought about stepping in and helping you guys out in that situation. Did he at least change the oil after you threw him under the bus, or how did that work? <laughs> That's a good question. We'll have him on the podcast sometime. Yeah, good learning experience. Uh, real quick, uh, Austin Bush, uh, I guess this is kind of a lead into the shout-out section, but uh, I was in admissions when uh, Austin came to Briarcliff from, uh, from West Sioux. So thanks for listening, and uh, thanks for the question. So with that, we'll go ahead and go to our uh, shout-out section, as we do every week. Uh, I'm going to throw my shout-out uh, to one of my good friends uh, from Briarcliff who just got married this weekend, John Getter. Uh, John and Brittany Getter just uh, celebrated their marriage on Saturday, which is why I couldn't be at the game. So uh, he was also a former shot clock operator for the, the Briarcliff uh, basketball team, too, to tie it in here. So And uh, an above-average noon ball player. Yeah. Crafty. You know, I uh, – Crafty and competitive. I, I'm six foot seven uh, and, and not a good finisher uh, on the block. But John was one guy, if he was playing defense, I was usually 20 for 20 in every single one of those games. For some reason, 
uh, against him, I, I just I could do no wrong offensively. So I appreciate all the terrible post defense uh, you played on me, John. And if I'm not mistaken, John's a pretty loyal BC Buckets podcast listener. I know he's submitted a couple different questions so far. Yeah, yep. So uh, thanks for listening, and and hopefully, uh, Brittany, you know, welcome to the the Briarcliff family here. Hopefully, he he gets you listening to these as well. So as normal, I can't keep it to one shout out. I have two this week. Uh, first one goes to our junior varsity team. They opened up their season last week with a 195 victory on the road up at Mount Marty, and uh, a lot of similarities there to some of the other scores we've talked about uh, with the varsity team. But it sounded like I didn't get a chance to make it up there, but it sounded like they really played well, especially in the offensive end, and competed and made some big plays down the stretch to get the win. So great job to those guys. My second shout-out goes to uh, a Briarcliff alum, Brian Forbes. I had the opportunity yesterday to watch him coaching in action. He's on the coaching staff at East Tennessee State out of the, out of the SOCON League, and they played at Creighton and, and actually had the lead for a good chunk of the game and ended up Creighton – one in, in the in the last couple of minutes of the game but to see a Briarcliff alum having success in the coaching world obviously is something that's near and dear to my heart and it, it's always so awesome to see our alums doing big things in life period but it was great to see Brian you know he was obviously an outstanding player here and no doubt in my mind he's going to be an outstanding coach moving forward so I have a shout out uh, here too with uh, this past Sunday being Veterans Day I just wanted to give a shout out to uh, all the veterans out there and then uh coach schultz to you too for all your service and everything and just for all the veterans out there just thank you uh so much for everything that you guys did well thank you bobby and matt you just reminded me when i should make another wedding from past saturday a former barricliff basketball player kyle simprini oh, who yeah. became a married man and uh unfortunately scheduled on the game day for us so uh, the, our present staff couldn't be there but uh just congratulations to kyle and best wishes so, Coach uh, Schultz, before we wrap things up here, you know, you always hear about coaches as players graduate. Uh, you know, you hear about how coaches were influential in, in their players' lives, and you hear from coaches that, you know, you always have a, a home here at the Cliff, and, and you know, I'm, I'm sure uh, you agree with that sentiment that you're, you know, you're a coach and a resource and a mentor for life. What's it like for you to see guys who, you know, you coached here in the program, go out and, and start, you know, their their professions, start their family lives, those sorts of things. What's what's it like for you to see them go through I, I those absolutely things? Absolutely love it. Thoroughly enjoy it. Uh, just today, I walked into practice and I walked in late, about one minute late, which Coach Figueroa just always enjoys that. <laughs> but uh, the reason I was late, I was in the parking lot for about 15 minutes. I received a phone call from one of our alums from back in the 80s, and his name is Matt Dalton. And he was in Rockwell City this past weekend for his grandmother's funeral. Mm. But uh, we did send some flowers to that. He called to thank us for sending the flowers. And we got to talking about the teams that when he played. And he wanted to know how the present team is doing. And, and they, 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 I really like it when those guys, they call back and they're, they're, they want to support our present teams. They want to know how well the players are doing. They want to they be a part of it and they, to continue the tradition. And uh, I, I've, I like that. But two years ago, when we had the 50th anniversary, I had a great day because we had about 120 former players here. And every time I turned around, there was another group of players from another era mm -hmm. telling some more stories that, you know, and they just I thoroughly enjoyed that uh, from start to finish. And uh, it's, it's always good when we get to see some of the past players and, and have, just share what they're doing right now. 
Yeah, well, Coach, I think that's a testament to your job here and, and the respect that players have had for you. And, and uh, you know, I, I know you're, you're uh, an institution here at the Cliff, and, and uh, you know, thanks for all you've, you've done, and, and we're excited to have you back for another fun, uh, hopefully successful. I don't want to get ahead of myself here, but uh, thanks for coming on the podcast today. It was a pleasure to have you, and, and hopefully, uh, you know, we can get you to continue to listen to these and maybe even send in one of these questions. You're not Bill Brasky, are you? <laughs> not. Thank you, Matt. Well, and I think the reason Matt didn't give a big introduction at the beginning is because Coach Schultz is a man who doesn't need one. Well, that'll do it for this week. Uh, reminder, make sure you get down here Wednesday night for uh, the men's and women's game against Morningside. Women start at 6, but I'll tell you what, that gym is going to start to fill up early. So uh, make sure you get here as early as possible to support our women at 6 o'clock, followed by the men at 8, and then uh, they'll be on the road going down to Doan this Saturday. So that'll do it for this week. We will catch you next week. Thanks.